Well, welcome back to part nine of our Hebrew study. We're going to uh, pick up at chapter five, verse seven today. Uh, I Last week we discussed Jesus being Melchizedek and why that was so important. Well, Hebrews is going to pick up from talking about Melchizedek now, speaking of Jesus here in verse seven and says, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, I should say, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. I, I love this verse. It says, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. My mind goes to two places here. Number one, it takes me to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed that he was in agony. He was in torment, so much so that, you know, he, he cries out, Lord, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He says, not my will, though, but your will be done. He was in such agony that he sweat blood like tears. And guys, I this is kind of a side topic, but I think it's important. Today we have this name it, claim it kind of prayer. You know, if you want it, just pray it in faith and it's going to come. And that's going to be something important as we go on later here today. But I think here it's worthy bringing up because while I believe that we do have the authority, we do have the boldness to go and talk to God in prayer in those ways, even Jesus said, Lord, if you are willing. You see, so many times what we pray for isn't God's will. So many times what we pray for isn't what's best for us. And so we should remember, Lord, if it's your will, if it's, if it's what you desire, then give us this. Do this. But if not, don't. And that's exactly what Jesus prayed here. The, the second place that this takes my mind is obviously to the cross. That with vehement cries and tears, that he cried to God, his Father, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. You see, the Lord Jesus, he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That takes us right to Psalm 22. And here we see Psalm 22, not only does it say that very thing, but in verse 21 it says, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Just like Hebrew said, he was heard because of his godly fear. God answered him. And it wasn't just because of no reason at all, but because of his godly fear, because Yeshua walked in obedience. He only did what his father told him to do. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. And so very important part of this, that he was heard for a reason. And likewise, the same is true for us. You see, prayer is only for God's children. Those who walk in sin, prayer is not for you. David said in Psalms, he said, that if, if I had held iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. Proverbs 28.9 says, if I uh, turned a deaf ear to God's law, even my prayers would be detestable to him. So keep that in mind as well, that prayers are for God's children, for those who belong to God. Moving on here to verse 8, it says this, though he was a son, 
yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, I have two sons and two daughters, but bottom line is, is that they have learned obedience from things that they've suffered, both from mistakes that they've made as well as from some spankings they've received. That is not what this is talking about. Jesus didn't make mistakes, and he didn't need spankings. What he's talking about is what he suffered was self-inflicted. By that I mean he put his flesh into submission. That's what he did. Okay, again, he, he didn't give uh, his flesh everything it desired like it seems that we do today. He deprived his flesh. He served others. And this is, guys, really why we do what we do. Uh, even me, you know, I don't eat uh, unclean foods and things like that, not because I'm trying to, you know, uh, be better than the person next to me or anything like that, because it doesn't make me better. I do it for the same reason that I fast at times. The Bible talks about it, and it's not for my salvation or justification, but that it's a way of putting my flesh into submission, not giving my flesh something that it desires every time it screams out. Every time it's tired, it doesn't need a nap. Every time it's hungry, it doesn't need food. Every time it has a lustful thought, it certainly shouldn't be fed. And so we learn obedience by the things that we suffer. It's kind of like, you know, as we get older, our hearing tends to fade away. We don't hear those subtleties in music and voice and, and, and entertainment anymore. We, we lose some of that because of, well, frankly, in my case, the sins of my youth and loud music. But you see, when we are following God, when we learn obedience by the things which we suffer, Basically, it fine-tunes our spirit so that our flesh isn't the one that's in control of our bodies, but that we live by the spirit, not by the flesh. And so by putting our flesh into submission, the, the spirit is in well-tuned uh, condition to recognize and discern some of these maybe grayer areas of Christianity, things that aren't black and white. And we can discern right from wrong, good from evil. Well, Verse 9 goes on and it says, Having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Some very important words here. Have you guys noticed how many times it keeps talking about obedience already in this book? And not just this book, but throughout scripture. Yet ironically, this is something that many churches do not want to talk about today. It's not important to obey. You're under grace. You can live your life the way you want because Jesus loves you. That is not the message we're hearing from Scripture. Okay, He became the author of salvation, not just to everybody, but to all who obey him. That's important. I want to show you some an example here, a sad example, right out of our uh, basically headlines. Here is one that says, Saying you're going to hell if you don't believe in Jesus is insanity, megachurch pastor Michael A. Walron Jr. says. Let me show you what he's preaching from the pulpit. It says this, there was a time when you'd see people in the pulpit say, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. That's insanity in many ways because that's not what Jesus even believes. And so the key is you believe in God. 
And whatever your path is to God, I celebrate that. Folks, there is nothing more heretical and demonic than that right there. That's basically saying, well, if your path to God is Allah, fine. If your path to God is Buddha, fine. No, wrong. Jesus said there, he, he is the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. The way. There is only one way. It even says that no one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. And by the way, it's also in Scripture the flip side. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So, absolute heresy. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, it goes on here and it says, we have enough in this world that divides us. We need to find those things that bring us together. And if God can't bring us closer together, then something's wrong. Not with God, but in how we think, how we know God and understand God. Guys, we don't determine how we understand God. That's idolatry, forming and fashioning a, a, a God to your own liking. No, Jesus said, didn't say that we're here to come together. As a matter of fact, he said the opposite. He said the world is going to hate you because of me. He says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. He said that uh, mother is going to be against daughter and, and father against son and so on. Yet today, just because one is a homosexual in our own families, we somehow think that we need to keep the family together. And because it's our own son, it's our own daughter or, or a cousin or whatever the case might be, we feel like, oh, well, I'm going to compromise my doctrinal beliefs because now things have changed. Now it's in my family. Guys, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says this, that if anyone calls himself a brother, a Christian, or even a, a, a brother, but basically one who believes in Jesus, but is sexually immoral with such a man, do not even eat. 1 Corinthians 5, go read it. This is extremely important for us to understand these things. Because our doctrines should not change based upon our heartstrings being pulled upon. The heart is deceitful and wicked beyond cure. Who can understand it? We do not follow the heart. We follow God and his word. And I know I've opened up a can of worms here, but folks, it's not just homosexuality. It's any kind of ungodly living that if people are calling themselves a Christian, we're not to sing kumbaya and hold hands together. We're to excommunicate them. This is what Scripture says. Go read it, 1 Corinthians 5. Anyway, 2 Peter 2, verse 21 also warns us. It says there will also be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. By the way, that's hell. And this false prophet that we just saw there is exactly what he is calling down upon people when he teaches them that there are many ways to God. Let's get back to Hebrews, okay? Just, again, repeating this, showing you, though he was a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Not everyone not everyone who just goes to church and prays and, and just calls on him, because there are people in the church singing songs to Jesus but have uh, no fruit in their life. Obedience does matter. It's not a way of getting to heaven, but it is 
evidence that you do have faith. Because faith without the works, without obedience, is dead. And you've lied to yourself and you've followed your heart that has deceived you. Matthew 5 verse 20 says this, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, that's like me saying if you're not better than the pastors you know, you're not getting to heaven. That should freak you out. That ought to scare you to death. Now, I do need to explain this a little bit. He's not saying, okay, well, if you're not doing just as many good works as your pastor or, or whatever, that you're not getting into heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a righteousness of the heart. He's saying just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. You need to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith, as the scriptures say as well. Because, as I said, faith without works is dead. We need to look at ourselves and say, do we have a desire to please God? Do we have a desire to be obedient? Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, we're going to sin. But our heart better be troubled because we sin. We can't justify the fact that we, hey, you know, we're watching pornography. Oh, well, I'm a believer. I guess it's okay. No, that's not how it works. You better hate that, and you better, you better get rid of that in your life. You better be seeking God. You better be confessing your sins. You better be going and talking to people about this and doing something. But if you're content and, and continuing in your pornography or whatever the case might be, then I question your faith, whether you really have it. I know that's uh, kind of scary, but it goes on here at Matthew 6, verse 15. He says, If you do not forgive men their trespass, neither will they, your Father forgive your trespass. These are some pretty heavy things that are being said by Jesus himself. And but guys, Jesus didn't change his teaching after he died. He is saying we need the righteousness of the heart. How do you get that? Well, in part because after Jesus dies, he sends his Holy Spirit. That law that does condemn us, the condemnation has now been taken away. And that flesh, which is impossible to please God, does not have the power to do these things. He now gives us his Holy Spirit so that we don't live by that flesh. We live by the Spirit instead. Matthew 18, verse 3 says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, a righteousness of the heart. Do children make mistakes? You bet they do. But you see, they, they understand authority. They understand the authority of their father. We need to do that. And they have faith and trust and, and, and can feel comforted by their, their parents. If, if somebody is in trouble or whatever, where do they run to? They run right to the arms of their father. That's what we need to do as well. Anyway, we could go on about that. Matthew 5 verse 44 says, I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We are called to be perfect. Okay? Uh, again, in Christ, we can be. By the power of his Spirit, we can be. I'm not saying we don't make mistakes. I'm saying because of the blood of Jesus, he sees me as perfect. Perfect because he sees my heart and that I have a desire 
to please him, a desire to obey him because of my faith in him. He makes us perfect. Okay, again, parents compromising on the word for the sake of their kids. I've seen it happen many times, not only just with homosexuality, but their kids get older and they start kind of, you know, going out and partying more and whatnot and going into the hookah bars and these type of things. And then all of a sudden I see the parents just kind of laxing because they feel ashamed. And, and the only way they can do it is either be disappointed in their kids or alter their, their, their theology a little bit so that they can justify it. A good biblical example is Eli and his children. You know, he goes to his children and he says, this is not a good thing that I hear about you. This is a bad report, but that's all he does. He doesn't step in and excommunicate them from the temple services. And as a result, God comes to him and says, because you considered your sons more holy than me, you will be removed from the priesthood. Your whole family is cursed. This is why it's important for us to follow these biblical mandates. Obedience is important even to this day. So important. Matthew 10 verse 37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Very humbling to consider that, especially almost every time I go out and speak about homosexuality. I have people coming up to me, what should I do? My son, my daughter, my cousin, you know, my niece, my nephew. Doesn't matter what the relationship is. Homosexuality doesn't change based on the relationship. We have to think about these things. Go read, again, 1 Corinthians 5. It tells you what to do. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Are we living to this standard? Not, not the world's standard of love. The world says love is tolerate. Don't, don't tell anybody they're doing anything bad. Accept them for who they are. Folks, that's not love. That's sending them to hell. Okay, I, We need to be screaming truth at them if, if they won't listen. If my child is playing in the, the middle of the street, I am going to yell at him, I'm going to spank him, I'm going to discipline him in every way, shape, and form so that he fears going out into that street because that street can kill him. Likewise, we need to let our, ch our, our children, if that's who they are, and, and they're homosexuals, or they're in pornography, or they're getting drunk and partying and sleeping around, even with, with uh, heterosexual relationships, we need to discipline them with God's word so that they fear going into those things knowing that it leads to death. That is love. Hebrews 5.10 says this, continuing on, called by God, speaking of Jesus. Jesus was called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull in hearing. Again, he's taking us back to Melchizedek, that he was the high priest. Jesus is our high priest. He is our king, as Melchizedek was both. But he says, of whom we have much to say, but it's hard to explain since why? Well, because you're dull of hearing. You don't know the word. You, you, your ears are not tuned to the word. 
In the Greek, the Greek word here for dull of hearing is literally lazy. Folks, I don't know a better description of Christians today than biblically lazy. All they want is to be entertained. They don't want to be educated. I mean, we can tell this, you know, I, I, if you go to a, a church prayer meeting, I'll bet you have less than 5% of your church there. If you have some uh, entertainer come in, whether it be a Christian magician, a Christian comedian, a Christian singer, you'll pack the place. Okay, we, we don't want to be educated. We want to be entertained. I don't remember who it was, but somebody says that if you want to see how popular you a church is or how popular God is, well, I guess maybe it was this. If you want to see how popular a pastor is, you come on Sunday morning. You want to see how popular God is, you come for the prayer meeting later that evening. There's so much truth to that. You see, I think we have become dull in hearing, and that's why this talk of obedience today offends so many people, because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know what Scripture says. They only want to know what their flesh screams out for. It goes on here in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. What's milk and solid food? You know, we all know a baby, an infant, as they are developing, the, the whole aspect of human development, they begin needing milk as an infant. It, it can't feed itself, and so others feed it. But as that baby grows, it needs something more, and it begins to feed itself. It no longer has to rely on its mother fully. Can you imagine an infant that was, well, really maybe not an infant, but we'll, I'll call it an infant that was five years old? and still only drinking milk and not any other solid foods, that child would no longer be healthy, but rather underdeveloped and unhealthy. And we as Christians, if that's all we have done, is we have continued to simply rely on the pastors, rely on others for our own spiritual growth, and yet we've been Christians for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, then I think that we are underdeveloped, malnourished, and there is something very wrong with us. But he says that you have come to need milk and not solid food. You're not able to handle the solid food because you're still a baby, underdeveloped. Let me show you here. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this as well. In verse 1, it says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, those who think about the flesh, basically. He says, as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Right here it describes what it means to be an infant. He says you can't handle it. Why? Because you're carnal. You're living in the flesh. You see, carnality, living in the flesh, keeps you from growing. 
keeps you from becoming spiritual. Romans talks about this all the time. I do not live according to the sinful flesh, but according to the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Guys, if we're still living in the flesh and, and letting every time our flesh screams out for something, feeding it, we've got problems. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before, how you learn obedience by putting that flesh into submission and not giving it everything. And that's the benefit of fasting. That's the benefit of following God's commandments so that we don't give in to the flesh. <coughs> it also means choosing to watch TV, you know, rather than maybe go study scripture a little bit, do a Bible study with your family, listen to, to a podcast of some sermon or whatever the case might be. That's living in the flesh. You see, we have these choices every day, almost every moment of the day, to live in the flesh or in the spirit. And if you continue to choose to live carnally, watching TV, uh, just having to be entertained all the time, even on good things perhaps, okay, maybe it's not that you're watching bad things on TV, that you're being entertained by, you know, perfectly uh, acceptable things but you're not going to God's word, you're still going to be an infant. Do you seek to grow? You see, somebody needs to be sounding the shofar, the trumpet, as a warning to you in your life and say, what are you doing to live in the spirit? You know, the death of any marriage, you know where it begins? When one of those people stop pursuing the other. Likewise, if you stop pursuing Christ, that's the death of your relationship with him. You will either be moving forward or you're going to be falling away. And guys, I see it all the time. I can see it even in my own family that this world has got us by the captivity of activity and that we have to be entertained and have our mind occupied with something with every moment of the day. Well, let's turn off that TV. Let's turn off uh, the mind a little bit. Well, maybe I shouldn't say turn off the mind, but what I mean is not to always have to have it be doing something, but to go to God's Word, to go and sit in your bedroom and get down on your knees and pray. Because if you're not moving forward, you're falling away. Verse 13 says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, having their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Again, going back to what I was saying before, <clears throat> who by reason of use having their senses exercised. How do we exercise our senses? Well, by denying the flesh so that our flesh isn't leading us. You know, the Bible says, do not lean on your own understanding. It says, do not follow the heart. So practice, uh, train your spirit so that when you have choices, that you're making wise spiritual choices. And when you do that, 
you're able to discern good and evil in other areas of life. You're able to discern what's going on in your church. Guys, I have seen many churches time and time again when pastors are preaching messages that are just fine, but really they're not challenging. They're not meat you know, I heard a, a guy I talk about this once. I, I think his name was Britt Beamer, uh, something like that. He said, you know, there was a guy who was driving along the road. He sees a pickup pulled over with a flat tire. So he pulls over to help him. The guy has no tools, but uh, the guy that pulls over comes over and he has a gold-tipped shovel. And he's so proud of his shovel, and he's here to help because this shovel is like brand new. It is sparkly, gold-tipped even, like I said. It is beautiful. And the problem is, is while that shovel is beautiful and there's nothing wrong with it, it's a good tool, it's the wrong tool to change a tire. This is what's happening in churches today. People can come and talk about the goodness of Jesus and whatnot. That's a good tool. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's the wrong tool for the job. You see, our churches today need to have a message of, of repentance, a message of obedience, a message of putting our eyes on Jesus and taking him off of us. But today we're going to church because we want to see how we can have a better life. A five-step program of, well, if you do this, this, and this, then you're going to have a better life. That's not what Christianity is. You see, we go to church not so that I can have a better life. We go to church because God deserves our praise, honor, worship. That's why we go to church. Now, do we get things? Are we, do we, are we blessed because we go to church, because we praise God? Absolutely we are. But that's not our motivation. And so the flesh needs to be put into submission so that we can discern these types of things. No wonder the church has no discernment if all that they're doing is continuing to feed the baby's milk. The devil wants us to stay on this milk with all these programs and things that sidetrack us. What do you want in your church? Oh, we got to have enough programs going so that people will come to church. Well, then they're coming for the wrong reason as well. You see, seeker-sensitive churches are never going to bring a congregation to grow. They're only going to make their congregation feel good about themselves. Feel like, oh, well, I'm going to become a better person. Okay, Again, there's nothing wrong with becoming a better person. That's a good tool of God's Word. But the point of God's Word is to save them from hell and damnation. And that's where they're going to go if they don't follow God in obedience and faith. The obedience comes from that faith. We always constantly are having our eyes on ourselves, not on Jesus. Folks, it's time to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, Jesus didn't come thinking, oh, how can I have a better life? He came, how can I serve others? How can I serve my Father? 2 Peter 1.5 says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to per perseverance godliness, 
To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For in these things are yours and abound. You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Scripture even tells us that we are to be growing. We're not to remain stagnant, to remain as babies. It says, add to your faith. And guess what it goes on? Basically, the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. Virtue, self-control. Do you guys have self-control? Do you have virtue? How about perseverance? Are you getting tired of the fight? Okay, uh, godliness? Are you walking in obedience? Are you caught up in pornography? Are you caught up in lust? Are you caught up in greed? Brotherly kindness and love? Are, are you always just serving yourself or do you serve others? It says, for if these things are yours and they are abounding, then you're neither going to be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to know God. Guys, do you desire to know God? Even Moses. Moses said, Lord, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may continue to find favor with you, that I may know you. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. You see, Philippians is telling us that we should be praying that our love would abound, that we would grow in knowledge, that we would grow in discernment. And what have I been telling you how this happens? You need to be in the Word. To add to your faith, you need to be in the Word, going to Him to find the strength to be walking in obedience. You need to be making wise choices. Those subtle things that will teach you the difference between clean and unclean, good and evil. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. You know, we always hear this in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we stop there. We think knowledge being, oh, you know, I don't really know my Sunday school stories very well. No, what this is talking about as you continue in this verse says, because you have forgotten the law of your God. You see, lack of knowledge, the, the Jews have always understood this as a, a lack of Torah. If you don't know the law of God, if you don't know and can discern between right and wrong biblically, morally, then you have lack of knowledge and you are being destroyed. By the way, here is a Jew in Philippians uh, talking to a Gentile about our love must abound in knowledge and discerning. And today, the devil has also had this idea that there is a dual covenant. There's a covenant and a set of rules for the Jews, and there's a covenant and a set of rules for the Gentiles. I'm not going to get into that much right now outside to say it is absolutely biblically wrong. I can show you from Scripture that we have the same rules, from the New Testament, by the way, Okay, but we're not going to get into it. I just want you to know that there are no separate covenants. Okay, here's a Jew saying to a Gentile what we should do, and it's the same thing. Anyway, yes, we as a church 
most Christians don't have a basic understanding of Scripture. As I go out and speak, honestly, I find that if I don't start from the elementary teachings, they don't even understand. If I talk about Asa, King Asa, and what happened, uh, they don't know about King Asa. They maybe have heard the name, but they couldn't tell you what he did. We'll talk about him later. Philippians 1, verse 10 says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Okay, Philippians goes on, uh, but Paul explains how we are to approve of things. And he says, instruction from the law. Okay, we approve of things that are excellent, okay, without offense. How long? Well, till the day of Christ, till he comes back. You see, here in Romans 2.17, here Paul says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and, the re and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve of the things that are excellent. Why? Because you have been instructed by the law. Now, he does go on and say that these Jews who have been instructed by the law aren't following the law. Colossians 1.9 says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Again, knowledge of his will, not our will. We have this idea, well, if I want it, I'm going to pray and I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it and God's going to give it to me. Again, no, that's not always his will goes on that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, this is New Testament. How do we please God? Being fruitful in every good work. Obedience. And by the way, who gets to determine what a good work is? Do you get to determine that? Or do we go to God's Word to determine what that is? Yeah, it's God's Word. He gets to determine what good is, not you. Now, by the way, He's just pulling from the Old Testament here, all right? All the people who think that the Old Testament no longer, you know, really valid and that we just kind of live by the New Testament, well, if you knew your Bible, you'd understand that there's really nothing new in the New Testament. It's all coming from the Old. Nothing has changed. He's just elaborating and explaining it in the New. Look what Deuteronomy chapter 4 Verse 5 says the same thing that we're reading here in Colossians 1.9. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. How were, how were people to see that the, the Jews were wise and understanding? Well, it says there, because they observe God's commands. The law gives wisdom and understanding. You obey the law, your spirit is fine-tuned to recognize right and wrong, good and evil, clean and unclean. This is why the devil doesn't want you to know the Torah, the Old Testament. This is why, because he knows you understand that, you're going to understand the will of God. Revelation 13, 18 says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. 666. 
Now I bring this up because you see wisdom is going to be very important to even identify the Antichrist. If you don't study the scriptures, if you don't have biblical wisdom, you won't even recognize that when he comes. And frankly, I'm seeing that Christians in the church today, they don't have enough discernment to even decide whether divorce is okay or not, whether homosexuality is to be accepted or not, abortions, whether it's wrong all the time or just some of the time, socialism, you know, the law being gotten, you know, that Jesus abolished the law, some think, even though he says, I didn't do that, to, to discern the authority of God's word. If churches don't have the authority to discern their way out of a brothel, how are they going to have the discernment to recognize an antichrist that is going to come that the Bible even warns he will come deceiving with miracles and wonders and signs and things that make you feel good? You need to know the word to have that discernment. Proverbs 1.5 says, A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, you see, a wise man will hear and increase learning. In other words, a wise man is going to turn off that TV and he's going to start studying his scripture every day. You want to understand uh, you know, have wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of it, and you get the fear of the Lord by being in the Word. Proverbs sixteen twenty three: The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Okay, the wise man will add learning. You're going to be studying. You're going to be passing this message on to others, and you're going to be making sure you're listening, not just putting this. You know, uh, maybe catching five percent of it. Are you a fool? Because it says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. A fool despises wisdom and instruction. We must not be sitting stagnant, but increasing our knowledge in God and increasing our fear of God. Today, the fear of God has all but been taken away because the devil doesn't want you to fear God. Or Yeah, he doesn't want you to fear God. He wants you, hey, he's just your best friend and you keep living your life just the way you want it you'll be just fine. Proverbs 15, 4 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. My goodness, the, the social media today is filled with foolishness. We laugh and giggle at all these memes and jokes and, and funny videos that are out there. Again, some of them are clean, nothing wrong with them. But all we do is feed our minds on silliness, foolishness. But the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, puts that phone down, turns off Facebook, and opens up the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9 adds, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Or, we can go on and see in Psalm 25, verse 4, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. Guys, do you really think that by having that TV on all the time and Facebook and, and uh, just going and playing your sports all the time or even watching sports all the time that you're going to learn his paths, his truth? 
It says, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Oh, that the church would pray to have our eyes opened, that we would put these multimedia and social media things down and seek God. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You see, you need the, you need the fruit of the Spirit to find out what is acceptable to God. Christians don't know what God is, what, what is acceptable to Him and what's not acceptable to Him because they don't know the law of God. They don't walk in the fruit of the Spirit in self-control. We, we don't put our flesh into submission. We give it everything it wants. We are to be seeking what pleases Him. How? By being in the Word. Are you in it? Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without, or which no one will see the Lord without. We need to pursue peace and holiness. Without it, folks, you will not see the Lord. Because you probably don't know the Lord if you don't have a love for Him. It's kind of like you don't have a love for your wife. You're not spending time with your wife. Okay, you, you don't seek to know her more. You're just, you're just living with her. You recognize her as your wife. That's what happens with many in the church. They, they recognize Jesus as God, but they don't seek to know him. They don't con converse with him through prayer, and, and, and they don't uh, go to his word to communicate. We need to be doing that. Well, let's get into chapter 6, verse 1 here. It says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, that milk, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, a laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. This blows me away. We're supposed to leave the elementary milk. What does he say that the milk is? <coughs> Look at these. Six things are listed. Faith repentance, baptism, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Boy, if that's not meat, what's meat? See, we're supposed to be leaving this baby talk, moving on to mature thoughts. He says it's time to grow up. Okay, Many churches don't even want to go deep in what is really here called milk. They're not even on milk. They're on feel-good. You see, so many want to keep their congregants on baby food because bottom line, they can control them better that way. All I got to do is just, well, make you feel good. It's a lot easier for them, too, because if I make you feel bad by what I say, you're going to be upset with me, and then you're not going to tithe to my church. See the problem? But these six things are baby teachings, even though they seem pretty deep. He says, this is just milk. We'll talk about what meat is. But uh, for now, I think we need to look at these milky teachings. 
and we aren't going to be able to have time to get through all of them, so I think we're just going to pick on one today, and that is faith. Okay, Hebrews 11.1, 1, skipping ahead a little bit, says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So I don't need to really have to wonder what faith is or define it myself because the scriptures define it right here. It's the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Okay, it's hope, it's what we have, it's what we hope for without having to see it. That's faith. <clears throat> you see, John 20, verse 29 said to Thomas, Jesus comes to him and he says, because you have seen me, you believed. Blessed are those, though, who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas said earlier that he wouldn't believe unless he had touched Jesus. So Jesus later comes and says, well, here, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. By the way, when it says blessed are those, that word blessed, it, it, it always refers to the redeemed. Okay? The, the world isn't going to believe in God unless they see. Remember Jesus says a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. They say, well, you've been saying the Lord's been coming back for 2,000 years. You've been saying this forever. Yeah, you know why? Because the God's word says it, and he is coming back. And, there, and the handwriting is on the wall, folks. Not going to get into that today either. But 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is why it's not unusual to see an atheist that has absolutely zero understanding. Okay, Because... Apart from the cross, apart from, from Christ, you're not able to understand not just the cross, but anything in this world. Because all wisdom and knowledge come from Christ Jesus, it says in Colossians. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 19 continues here. It says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolish, or God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God, though the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe through the foolishness. By the way, here again, he says, for it is written. He's quoting Isaiah here. And this message isn't found through that which is the glory of man, that is, human wisdom. It is found only through God's word and the Holy Spirit. Has not God made, the foolish, made foolish the wisdom of this world? Guys, I'll tell you what, we're, we're in a, a, a situation right now with the coronavirus in this world that it makes absolutely no sense to me. And frankly, I see many Christians who have been so deceived by it, they have no discernment that, that they, they can't even discern what truth is on it. Fact is, no more people have died from this than the regular flu, and yet it seems that we may have destroyed the economy of our country because we're not trusting in God, we're not going to His Word, 
We're going to the government. We're relying on them. Hopefully they'll bail us out. Oh, we'll get this stimulus money. Oh, maybe they'll give us this unemployment. Oh, maybe they'll give us this SBA loan. Guys, the government isn't to bail you out. You're, the government has made it so that we don't need to go to God. By the way, it sounds like we, we've become a socialist country, too. We're going to rely on the government to, to solve our problem, to protect us. We need them to make our decisions for us. Now, I'm not trying to make this a political thing. I'm trying to say that there is discernment that can only come from knowing God and being in His Word. Well, it continues in verse 22. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, again, both of you, called by the same gospel, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The world sees believers as using a crutch when we talk about faith in God and Scripture. It's foolishness to them. Well, that's what Scripture says it's going to be. But for us, those who have faith, okay, we have found the truth. Faith is codependent on truth. See, we need faith to even understand truth. Without it, you will not. You're going to be led astray by every wind of doctrine, by everything the government tells us. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Guys, it doesn't say it's hard to please God. It says it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who just go to church. Oh no, it doesn't say that. A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not just seek him every now and then and when it's convenient for them, but who diligently, who like in that parable, sell everything they have to go buy the field to have that treasure. It all comes down to faith in Jesus Yeshua. And yet, guys, as important as this is, it's this is one of those milk teachings isn't that amazing? He couldn't put more emphasis on the importance of faith here, could he? And yet this is milk. Boy, does that make you wonder if you're ready for meat? 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. All of this is building on that foundation of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that in more detail as you go, go and read that on your own. And you see that some are building on this foundation of Jesus Christ with wood, hay, and stubble, false doctrines, laziness. Others are building with gold and silver and precious stones, truth, obedience, and, and, and love, and good doctrines. And it says both of these people are saved. When they go through the fire, these things, what what you are building on this foundation is going to be burned up. If you're building on the foundation of Jesus and you've got some bad doctrines and been spiritually lazy, it says, you know, if you truly have faith in that foundation, he himself will be saved, but only as though escaping through the flames. Guys, that's not how I want to get into heaven, by the skin of my teeth. I want to get in by, you know, passing with flying colors, claiming that my faith in Jesus Christ 
in the evidence of that faith in my life. Luke 17, 5 says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Isn't that something? Here are these apostles who walked with Jesus, saw the miracles, saw things that you and I could only dream to see, and yet they're begging, increase our faith? That's incredible to me. Why are they saying this? There's something deeper here. Do you remember the story in Mark 9? There was a man, son, who uh, he had a demon. And the apostles weren't able to drive this demon out. So he, the man goes to Jesus and says, you know, your apostles, they couldn't cast him out. He says, if you can, you know, have compassion on me. The important part there, if you can. Jesus replies by saying, if you can believe. Okay, he says, if you can. Jesus says, well, if you can believe. Jesus also said when the apostles couldn't cast this demon out, he said to them, Oh, you faithless generation. You see, faith is power. And we need to understand that. In, in essence, these disciples are saying, Increase in us our power. We need to yearn for it, desire it, because we know that we are weak and we can be so much more for the kingdom of God. How does the Lord respond to this request? Here in Luke 17, increase our faith. He says, so the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. He's basically saying, don't limit your faith. Don't limit it. But if you have faith, that's how important this milky doctrine of faith is, that it is power. Faith is the power in your life. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you want this faith? So you want this power? Well, it comes by hearing. By hearing what? The word of God. Well, I guess you better turn off that TV and put your phone down and get off of Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever else there is. So important. The disciples wanted this, and they wanted it bad. Do you? I want to close with a real-life example of the importance of faith here from King Asa. I told you that we would talk about him later. Let me just give you a rundown of what goes on here in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. We see Asa is a good king. It says he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. So notice he is king of Judah, not Israel, just Judah, the southern kingdom. And he commands them to, A, seek God, have faith in him. And when you have faith in him, what do you do? You observe the law and the commandments. goes on in verse 5, He also removed the high places, the incense altars from all the cities. Uh, the kingdom was quiet under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. You see, Asa sought God. And as a result that he had faith in him, his kingdom grew in power. It was awesome. But it continues here in verse 8. Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, 
He carried shields and spears, and from Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. But guys, that's nothing, because there was a king of Ethiopia here in verse 9. It says that Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men. 300 chariots, and he came to Marishah. So now we got a million men. They're outnumbered, basically two to one. And logic, the world would say, Asa's doomed. There's no way you can win this battle. But look what goes on here in verse 11. Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it's nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Egyptian or the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. See, Asa put no limits on God at all. He doesn't say, I know this is impossible, but... No, he says, nothing's impossible for you. What made the difference here? Asa's faith. And that gave him victory. Remember, faith equals power. But I'm sad to say the story goes on. Two chapters later, in chapter 16, <coughs> it says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, the northern kingdom. You see, we have two kingdoms, the southern and the northern, and there are two kings. Well, Basha is a terrible king, does not follow God. He comes up against Judah and King Asa. Verse 2 says, Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord into the king's house, and he sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. Now, Syria really is the enemy, ultimately. And Asa, for some time now, has not been walking with the Lord. His spiritual... Uh, antenna has become out of tune. He hasn't been walking in obedience. And those little steps of obedience that we take help us when the rubber meets the road later down the road and we're met with a decision that takes uh, uh, faith and discernment. If we haven't been walking in obedience up to that point, you aren't going to have the discernment and the will and the strength to walk in obedience when it matters. That's what happened with Asa. And so now he goes to Syria, the enemy, and looks for their help to fight against Basha, king of Israel. In verse 3 it says, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. So what was Asa trusting in? His gold and silver. And the power of man, another government. He sought a foreigner. Did it work? Well, actually, it did. Okay. King Basha went back home. But what I want you to see here, again, is Asa was seeking uh, foreign power. He was he was he was using his own strength. And guys, this is exactly what happens in many churches today. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Verse seven, 
goes on and says, At that time Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah. This is after uh, the Assyrians came and you know, chased Israel away. After there was victory again. The prophet of God comes and says, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Remember those million men, basically he's saying? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Basically, he's saying there's going to be hell to pay because you relied on the king of Syria and not me. And Syria is going to come back later now and attack you. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. See, God's eyes are looking for those who have faith. You know, many of you have heard just how we operate our ministry. There have been many times, don't get me wrong, that I have been tempted to rely on my own strength and to rely on the ways of this world. But bottom line, I read a, a biography years ago, and I strongly recommend that you read this biography of George Mueller. This man brought in millions of dollars without once fundraising, without once doing anything but just going to his knees in prayer. And years ago, I thought, this is how I want to run our ministry. I'm not going to fundraise. I'm not going to I'm not going to go and build a ministry by man's efforts, by my own strength. Because, guys, people do it all the time. We can have a vision and we can chase that vision, but then it's just your vision. I decided God is going to build this ministry, if he builds it at all. And even when we started our semi-source mobile museum, I was not going to, to uh, make this happen myself. We laid out things in prayer, and we let God open every door. Until God opened the door, we weren't going to walk through. We weren't going to borrow money to do it, and we weren't going to beg for money to do it. We were going to let God do everything. Because then, guys, if it fails, I knew it wasn't because God didn't have a purpose. It wasn't because I made a wrong choice. It was because God had a purpose and it accomplished its purpose in the time, or it was going to continue to accomplish a purpose in its failure. If it succeeds, it's because God wants it to succeed, succeed, not because of my vision, not because of any of my skills. And I've seen many churches do the same thing. They build a church because it's their vision, and they build it with programs, and, and we got to make sure we're doing this, that the church looks good, and that we've got the right building. Folks, that's not what grows a church. Uh, no, don't get me wrong. It can grow a church. There are mega churches out there that grow that way. But they don't follow truth. They don't have discernment. They couldn't find an elder in their church that would have the spiritual discernment that is needed to cause the congregation to grow closer to, to the Lord, to know right from wrong. You see, ministries, churches, 
must grow by faith and faith alone. By the word of God is how faith comes, as Romans says. Faith by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want your church to grow? Stop with all the nonsense and the programs and wearing yourself out. Go to the word of God, preach truth, and let God do his thing. It might seem like you're going up against impossible odds, a great Ethiopian army. But you saw what God did to King Asa. But as soon as you lose faith in that and you start using man's efforts and you go to the foreign and, and the world and all of their means of, of trying to deliver you, your church is over. At least a discerning truth built on the foundation of Jesus. This is why we need to pray, increase our faith, so that we're not tempted to go the ways of the world. God wants people through whom he can show his glory. And you could just be one of those people. I need to close here, so let's just close with just this last bit here. Matthew 8, 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. I love this. I'm just so amazed at the humbleness of this, this centurion. Lord, I'm not worthy. In recognizing the authority of Jesus, I have authority, and I know you do too. Even greater authority. I can tell my servant or somebody to do this, and they will, but you, you can even command that he be healed, and he'd be healed. It goes on in verse 10, and it says, When Jesus heard it, he marveled. I love those two words, he marveled. This man made Jesus marvel. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, not even among the Jews. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. How many people could make the Lord marvel? What makes the Lord marvel? One thing, faith. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that, that makes Jesus marvel because of my faith, that makes the world go, you're an idiot. You've got to do this. Do you know how many times I've had people tell me, oh, you've got to advertise. You've got to market. You've really got to get your name out there. Guys, no, I don't. Jesus does that. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong for you to market, but it is wrong for you to put your faith in that. This man recognized Jesus as his authority to have such power to fight for him. We need to recognize that Jesus has the authority to fight for us. Because, as Jesus said, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. 
It was done according to his belief. Now, again, I talked about it before, but to bring it up again, I'm not talking about name it, claim it. If you want it, you're going to get it. But I am saying this. If it's God's will and you have the faith, you are going to get it. We don't want to be like those in Nazareth. In Matthew uh, chapter 13, it says, He did not do many works there because of their unbelief. The only limit to his power was his faith. And yet faith is an elementary principle. Amazing. Closing, 1 John 5, 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Oh, Lord Jesus, increase our faith. Amen.